We are in a series of conversations, and today is our last one, in which we have been talking about reaching out, reaching beyond ourselves. We called this series of conversations, Who's Your One?, because we are literally encouraging one another to identify one person in our life, in our orbit, who is hurting, who is far from God, that God would like us to reach out to. And we dedicated the month of June every day to pray for our one, and many of you have been doing that. I've already heard from a couple of you some great stories about your one. I haven't yet spent any time with my one, but I'm still praying about it, and I hope you are as well. Who's your one is what we've been talking about. And we said week one that the reason we're talking about this is because we were designed to move beyond ourselves. We were designed to reach out. We were designed to be an influence, to have impact. We were designed to be a hero. And it's when we feel most alive. It's when we feel at our best. So, the question for you in your circle is, how does technology affect this business of reaching out to others, living beyond ourselves? How has technology affected. I know those of you who are in high school, you don't know anything but cell phones. I mean, literally. I don't just mean that you don't know a time without cell phones. I mean, you don't know anything but your cell phone. But how you, even you can speak into this. Imagine the stone ages before Google, before a smartphone. You've heard your parents talk about it 15 years ago. How has technology affected our reaching out to one another? Go. Okay, in light of that discussion, <laughs> along with that, I want you to talk for a minute about, well, I was telling folks in the 9 o'clock service, I have a good friend who pastors a church in, he's a Presbyterian pastor of a church in Nebraska, and he came to visit us some time ago, and on his way, he was driving from Nebraska, and he, was on his way, he went through Pittsburgh, from Pittsburgh, he's on his way from Pittsburgh, and there's a spot between here and Pittsburgh where there's a long period, he, you know, no cell service. And so we were trying to text one another, because what time you arrive in, you, you want dinner, what's up, what's going on? And I just couldn't, you know, he was very unresponsive, I hope partly because he was driving. But we, we're not advocating texting and driving. But I, I kept wondering, what's up? So he gets to the house, and I realized that he has, still has, a flip phone. Remember these? So texting for him is like hit the button three times to get the right letter. You remember those days? Okay, if you're under 18, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But how do you use personally, how do you use technology? How, how do you use it in your life? Just take a couple of minutes, go around the circle and talk about how you use technology. Go. By the way, speaking of how you use technology, for how many of you is, I hope not most of you, but I bet it's almost everybody. For how many of you is the first thing you do when you wake up looking at your cell phone? How many of you? Because better than nine o'clock, you probably, most of you are lying. That's not good. Last question. What is the biggest challenge to our lives turning out? What is the biggest challenge to us reaching out to people in need? Is it the busyness of our schedule, you're going to tell one another. Is it the busyness of our schedule? Is it cultural challenges? You know, some of us are from other cultures. Some of us, most of us are not from this part of the country. So we're from other cultures. Is it, or other, is it, are there other things? What is the biggest 
challenged us turning our lives out toward others? Go. So imagine with me for a minute, let's use this as a kind of an illustration of how I'm going to live my life. I want you to imagine that uh, if you're listening to this later as a recording, I am looking down directly at my chest, and I'm just going to focus as much as I can on the buttons on my shirt, and I'm going to try to not even, I'm radically focused on my own chest, and now I'm going to try to walk across the stage, and as I do so, I'm going to bump into all kinds of things because there's a microphone, and there's a music stand, and there's a stool, and if I literally focused completely on my chest, I'm, I'm going to fall over something. Because I can navigate my life more effectively. If I'm looking up, if I'm looking out, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to run into obstacles, but it means that I'm going to be able to navigate those obstacles more effectively. There's not a promise for any of us that we're going to be happier if we lift our gaze and look out toward others. But I'm convinced that we'll get less stuck in our unhappiness if we invest more energy in looking out toward others and, and looking out toward need and meeting that need than if we're focused constantly on the roof leak and the project at work and the car needs repair all in the same month or where am I going to college or what is the doctor going to tell me or and I stay here, and it exacerbates my anxiety, my tension, my fear within my own life. Because we were designed, we were made to look up, to look out. Not only were we designed for that, but Jesus modeled that. That's what we talked about last week. Over and over again, we see these encounters in the New Testament where Jesus, the Savior of the world, meets one person at a time, and enters in with that person. One person at a time. Which is why we, we've been saying, who's your one? We talked at the beginning of these conversations about how Jesus initiated this. His first call to his followers, those first followers, those first disciples, long before us, you know, 50 generations removed from us, first followers, Jesus met them on the shore, group of fishermen. He said, how you doing? What's up? Well, we're fishing. You want to come follow me, and I'll teach you how to be fishers of people. I'll show you how to have an impact on others. I'll show you how to make your life a life of influence. I'll show you how to be a hero for somebody in need. And today, we're going to end this series of conversations by looking at the very last thing that Jesus said in his ministry, uh, right before he ascends into heaven. This is almost like brackets on either end of Jesus' challenge and his teaching ministry. He gave this epic challenge to the first disciples and to us, and it's in Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to walk through it. We're not going to spend much time this morning. We're going to walk through this passage and end our whole series of four conversations together by just reminding ourselves, let's stay focused on our one. I'm going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I'd love for you to look with me if you have a Bible. Matthew 28, it's the first book in the New Testament. We're going to do this a little bit differently today. I'm not going to read the passage and then talk. We're going to just kind of make points about this as we work through the passage itself. So, here we go. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 16, it's the very end of Matthew's biography. 
Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And the number here is eleven because some of you will remember by this point in the story, Judas has betrayed Jesus and has committed suicide. So Judas is no longer part of the company. They've gone to Galilee. They were in Jerusalem, remember, and Jesus was crucified. And Jesus, after he was resurrected, their minds were blown, and they were told to uh, go to Galilee, and I will meet you there. This was quite a trip. I mean, Galilee was somewhere between four and seven days walking from Jerusalem. So they've made this trip. They've gone to the mountain where Jesus told them, and, and Jesus comes. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. Don't snooze on that. Not they admired him, not they took notes, they worshipped him. They've already begun to realize who he is. The dots have begun to form into a picture. They're beginning to see two plus two equals four. They're seeing that this is the Son of God. So they worshipped him, but check out this next phrase. But some doubted. Uh, the word doubted here is the Greek word distadzo. And that word means doubt, waver, hesitate. That's important. I don't think this means that they didn't believe he was resurrected. They could see him. I think what's going on here is that some in this group were profoundly confused. They're thinking, what is going on still? What happened? What does this mean? What do we do now? What, who, who are we? Who is he? What? what? At the very least... I think that suggests to you and I that there's grace for you and I this morning. Because we come with a lot of different stuff when we've come in this morning. A few of you came in and you thought, let's go, man. Oh, awesome. Grace and Cassie are singing. Let's, let's, do, woo! let's do some worship. Yeah. Okay. Bring it, Ed. Come on. Let, why don't we stay late? Preach for an hour. Right? Yeah. Well, for most of you, that's not how you came in this morning. Some of you came in a little sleepy. Some of you came in, oh, do we have to do this again? Some of you came in uh, not knowing what's going on. And There's grace for that this morning. Some of you, without question, are wavering. But God is here. And you're here. And that matters. He takes that very seriously. So no matter what seat you're in this morning, God's here, and he's taking us very and you very seriously. It goes on. Then Jesus came to them and said, and here's his speech, his final speech, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the word authority here is the Greek word exousia, which means authority, right, power. I tell you that because I saw in a Greek-English dictionary this this week about this word this is awesome. It says, this word especially denotes God's unlimited possibility of action. God's unlimited possibility of action. In other words, nothing gets in his way. Nothing can stay God's hand when he decides to move. Jesus is saying, in effect, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. Jesus is saying, in effect, I want you to go give the good news about me to the whole world. We'll get to that in a second. And nothing is going to stop you. 
This story, my story, is going to be the most influential religious or philosophical idea in the whole world. Literally, billions of people are going to connect to this story and follow God in a whole new way because of your message. And I'll guarantee you at least one of the 11 was thinking, whoa, Jesus, slow your roll. Billion, what? And yet, that's the reality. Billions of people have believed this message, and it started here with 11. And then he gives them the heart of the message. Therefore, because all authority has been given to me, because I have the unlimited possibility of action, go and make disciples of all nations. So those are the two main verbs in this passage. This is the heart of what this passage is saying. Go and make disciples. And I think what Jesus is saying to suburban northern Virginians when he says go, I think he means get beyond yourself. Stop staring at your own chests. Get beyond your own little circle of activity, your own life and your own concerns. Look up and look out. Look to those around you who are in deep and desperate need, who are far from God, and offer yourself to them. Be a hero. It's what you are made for. Go. And then he says, make disciples. Invite others to be students of Jesus. Students of Jesus' life and his way of living. Invite others to turn the control of their lives over to God. Invite others into the kingdom of God. Go and make disciples. Teach them how to be like me. He follows that. He says, baptizing them. Now, last Sunday, if you were here, you'll remember we had a baptism here at Gateway. If you weren't here, we have four boards here that we lift up, planks, panels, not planks, panels. We lift them up, and underneath is a little pool. It looks kind of like a jacuzzi, but it's not. Occasionally, I find Alex in here relaxing, but other than that... We fill it up with water, and we do baptisms here. And last Sunday, we had two children, 12-year-old and 13-year-old, who were baptized here, Dylan and Angeline. And I told the story real quick before they got baptized about Samuel, a little kid in the Old Testament, thought he was hearing from God, goes to the priest. Priest says, well, I don't know. Goes back, hears again. Comes back to the priest. Priest says, go back and say, speak, your Lord, your servant is listening. He feels like he hears God's voice. Samuel says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God speaks to Samuel. He's just a little child. And that child grew up to be one of the most influential figures in the history of Israel. So I said at that point, you know, these are two boys and girls, just children who are going to be baptized today. They're, they're 12 and 13. Sorry for those of you who are 12 and 13, but to old people like me, you're a child. And they came out and I said, here's the thing. It's just children, but God takes this very, very seriously. This is a profound thing that's happening. And so they came out and Dylan comes out and I say, Dylan, do you profess Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And Dylan says, yes. And he's super enthusiastic about it. I don't want to give Dylan the microphone because I'm afraid he'll take over. It's the kind of kid he is. Then I say, Dylan, having made that decision, do you declare that you're going to do all in your power because you've got a long life ahead of you, buddy, and it's going to be hard at times? Are you going to do all in your power to, to stay with that, to stay focused on that and, and to follow him? Yes, Dylan says. And then Dylan's grandfather goes into the tank with him. They walk in. And his grandfather says to Dylan in front of all of us, Dylan's standing here, Dylan holds his nose, his grandfather says, Dylan, it's my privilege, my brother, 
How cool is that? To baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he quoted Paul from Romans chapter 6. He said, buried with Christ in baptism. I had somebody ask me recently about baptism. We were talking about baptism. We got several adults that are going to be baptized in August out at Goose Creek. If you'd like to know more about that, email Ron to Jessup. It's going to be awesome. But baptized and put them under, and he said, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in new life. We still do that here at Gateway today. We still baptize people like that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even though the 11 looked at Jesus and said, Whoa, Jesus, slow your roll. Jesus said, You don't understand. All authority has been given under me. Nothing's going to stop this message. It's going to change the world. And it's changed some of you. Baptize them, Jesus said. Baptism in the ancient world was universally seen not only as a cleansing rite, and it was seen as a cleansing rite. Baptist Christians didn't make up baptism. Lots of people used baptism. Lots of people used singing and prayer. Christians just used those as ways to worship God, the only God. And baptism was seen not only as a cleansing rite, and it was that. You got baptized symbolically. You got washed. You took a bath. But it was also seen as an entrance rite. This is how you started, and this is what we do at Gateway, too. This is how we use baptism still today. In other words, upon entrance into the new society requiring the baptism, one would submit themselves to the belief and the governance of the baptizer. So Christian baptism is a submission to the belief in what Jesus said and did and to the governance of God. That's what it is. Also, Christian baptism is a conversation. You don't baptize yourself. The church baptizes you. And here's the conversation. Someone says, I think I get it. I'm in. I believe that stuff. And I'm in with my whole life. I turn it over to Jesus. And the church, in effect, says, Amen. That means you're just like us. You're clueless. But you're seeking. And you're loving God and you're loving others more than yourself. Jesus goes on. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is why we do what we do at Gateway. This is how our church is organized. This is why we have Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, we come and we break open the book. And we try to talk about one little part of it. And what does that mean for us today? This is why we do kids the way we do kids. But this is why we do kids the way we do them. We, we have preschool kids in the back, elementary school kids upstairs, so they can hear about Jesus and about what he said and did and about his life and his lifestyle in a way that they can understand it. This is why we do youth the way we do. And our youth meet every Sunday night with Moses. And Moses tells them, this is what Jesus said. This is what he did. This is what it means to Instagram and movies today. Teach them to obey what I've commanded you. This is the substance of our small groups. This is why we do small groups, and this is what we do at small groups. We remind one another, this is what it's like, and this is how was your week. And this is what he says, and this is what we do because of what he says. And finally, in all of this, Jesus is with us. That's the last thing he said. Uh, Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If you're looking at a Bible, you may notice that the title of this paragraph is the Great Commission. A lot of Bibles call it that. This has often been called the Great Commission because this was Jesus' commissioning of us, his first disciples and us. I read somewhere recently, this is awesome, this guy said that the Great Commission is sandwiched between the Great Affirmation and the Great Promise. The Great Affirmation is that all authority has been given to Jesus. 
the great promise is that he will be with us. How good is that? Before we close with an illustration, let's do this one more time and let's stand out of reverence for God's word. Matthew chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You may be seated. So let's wrap this up. I recently read a brief article about William Carey, who was the father of modern missions in the English-speaking world. So he was kind of the first to start, became the modern missionary movement, Americans and British and others, going to places all over the world and sharing the story of Jesus. It was fascinating, this article, because William Carey was a famous missionary, but the article reminded me that Carey's faith was the indirect result about 20 times removed of the preaching of a small group of young men from the Middle East. So someone told someone who 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 told William Carey. Carey in his 20s, he felt moved of God to go to India and tell the story of Jesus to millions of souls there who were far from God. Carey later in his life would write that the first time he announced this to a crowd of British people that he, that he intended to do this and, and that he believed God wanted others to follow him, he was met with fierce resistance. He remembered an older gentleman standing in the crowd while he was speaking, telling him, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do so without your aid or mine. Fortunately, Carey would come to realize that when God intends to do anything, he almost always uses us. And Carey would come to realize that he was indeed being moved by God to go to India and tell God's great story. Listen to this. Because of Carey's heart, some of you and your families have come to place your life and your loves under God's control. Four steps removed, but Carey told someone who told someone who told someone who told you. And you ended up in the United States in our church. Because we have some people here from India who are great, 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 great grandchildren of William Carey. How did Carey accomplish this? He shared with people, one at a time. He told them the great story of Jesus, his life and his ministry, one at a time. He talked about a new way of relating to God, and he told people that they could have a real relationship with God, one at a time. And he baptized people, one at a time. So for the last four weeks, we've been asking, who's your one? I hope you've identified your one, and I hope that you've been praying. Moses Altamirano told us this week in staff that he's had an opportunity to talk, a significant conversation this week with his one. It was awesome and cool. I had another conversation with someone this week 
I'm going to have them up telling you this themselves pretty soon. They were telling me about this <laughs> really unbelievable coincidence where they ran into their one in a way that they completely didn't expect. I haven't yet spoken to my one. I don't know where you are in your story, but I look forward to hearing about it. And here's the thing, there will be stories. We're going to have stories. God is going to move if we will be faithful to pray. It's what He does. We know this because all authority to move has already been given to Jesus. And we know this because Jesus is still with us. Let's pray. Father, our lives are far too ingrown. We're too busy. We're too self-absorbed. And we don't want to be. We just, I don't know, we can't get out of our own way. And this morning we ask that you would break through the cobwebs and speak to us and call us out. Uh, for all of us, Lord, who have identified our one, I pray right now for those people in the name of Jesus. The name that is above every other name, the name in whom is invested all authority. I pray that you would move, that you would arrange conversations, that you would stir in their hearts, that you would begin to move in the circumstances surrounding them, to raise questions that, God, then you might use us to answer. I pray that you would prepare us to, to speak into those moments when you open the way and give us the right words or give us just the right presence to be there. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would spring them from darkness into light, a kind of emotional and spiritual death into life. Well, Lord, hear us and use us. Your army awaits you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.